Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. So Hebrews 10, 39, kicking off a series. I am super excited uh, about the series and um, the subject is faith. We'll we'll talk about that. It's it's one that really excites me because I I grew up in a household of faith. I I had a mom and dad of faith. I was raised that way. I I went to a a quote unquote faith school, if you will. I I, I believe we have a message of faith. I believe for 39 years, Tree of Life has been a church of faith. Amen. Trusting and believing God for everything. I really felt impressed with the Lord as we're rolling into the August, September to um, revisit the subject of faith. Take a, take a look at it that maybe we need to refocus a little bit because I know the things that happen around about us and the tr- uh, struggles and trials and challenges and stuff at times can just really um, cause us to question our belief or our trust. There's just so many things just coming against us, it seems like. I think it's an appropriate time. Now's the time to talk about faith. In fact, uh, yesterday morning, that was kind of the focus. That was the focus of our time in prayer. But I want to tell you, for 39 years, this has been a faith church, and we're going to be a faith church on into our future. And so I believe so strongly in the message of faith. And people say, do you go to that tree of life? Is that that faith church? Absolutely. Yes, we are. And no, no apologies for that. Amen? We are faith people. In fact, if anybody's born again, it was because they exercised their faith. Amen? And so anybody that's saved is a person of faith. And so now we have to walk out that lifestyle. So I want to talk about that for the next several weeks. Um, I want to take a look at a passage in Hebrews. Obviously, if you're talking about faith, I say, obviously, for those that know, been in church, you want to look in Hebrews. So let's start in Hebrews 10:39, and then we'll jump over into Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a great passage on faith. We'll spend all the rest of our series, perhaps, in Hebrews 11, but we can't go there without understanding context. And so I want to give you that today and looking at it maybe through a fresh set of eyes, a fresh perspective, so we know how to walk in and operate our faith. Because I'll just be honest with you, there's a couple series that I'll do that I know are not going to be terribly exciting. I'm not going to get a big cheer. I'm not going to get a big cheer when I talk on the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. They're not just going to get, you're not going to get a lot of, woohoo, yeah, maybe you'll get one or two running around the building. No, I'm just kidding. But we're not going to get, we're not going to get that necessarily. We're not going to get a big cheer necessarily when I, when I say, we're going to do a series on tithing. In fact, I don't ever really promote that because I don't want the attendance to drop the next week, right? We, we don't necessarily do that. Um, faith is another one of those, and I think it's because of what we've experienced. Not, it's not exciting for everybody. It's not like, ooh, yeah, faith, because we all had different experiences. We've been taught different things. In fact, the reality is, for a lot of us, it's like, oh, no, right? Because maybe we've been believing for something or praying for something, and everybody says, you got to have faith, and, and hold on, and don't let go, and... And if things don't turn out the way that we'd hoped or prayed or believed, then there's this thought of, wow, I didn't have enough faith, or I didn't, maybe, I, maybe I lost my grip, I lost my hold on God, or whatever that is. So I really want to take a look at that today, because I think that we maybe sometimes can slip and fall into something that's not really what God intended. And I think based on our own humanity and, and the things that happen around about us, we can get some different pictures of faith that maybe aren't really, again, as God intended. My hope is to kind of, for the course of the series, to bring that out. So today's my introduction to it. So here we go. Hebrews 10, 39 says this, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their soul. We do not shrink back. Amen and amen. We are people of faith. No matter what's happening, we press on. Today is not the time to shrink back, church. Today is not the time to pull back. Today is the greatest opportunity out there for the church to be the church and to move forward in faith. And so I'm excited about the opportunities that are before us. Now the writer takes us over into chapter 11, 
And now we get into more of some things. But understand some context. We'll go back to Hebrews 10 in a little bit. It says this. But now, so he goes there and says, we're not shrinking back, pulling back. And so he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now listen to verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created. Talking about the creation story in Genesis. By faith, the universe was created by the word, as God spoke, so that what is seen, listen, what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. So what you see now, we'll talk about that in a minute, the earth, the sky, the sun, the moon, all that, what we see now, was made out of something that was not visible at the time when God spoke. Now we're finding the essence of faith a little bit. Faith is more focused on what is not seen. There's a greater, let me say it this way, there's a greater, more real realm or dimension, if you will, than what we currently see if God has made things that aren't visible, that are visible out of something that isn't visible. So if that which is visible was made out of something not visible, then wouldn't it stand to reason that which was not visible is more powerful? Come on, more real. Come on, because it is the unseen realm, according to this scripture in the creation story, it is what created or out of that, it's what created what we do see. Are you with me this morning? So, but we and our humanity live in our five senses and we're trained to live more out of this being what we see being more real than what is unseen, but that's totally contrary to the scripture and the creation story. And the essence of faith is believing that what is not seen is more real or more powerful than what is seen. Are you with me this morning? Okay, so let me, let me set you up right there. Let's keep going. Verse four, by faith, think of the context. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, be, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6, our foundation of scripture throughout the course of the series, the one that most of us who've been in church we know could probably quote this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, being God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who seek him And that is our foundational scripture for this. But think of the context then. He's establishing a principle of faith in the creation story. And then he looks at two heroes of faith, which we'll get on the next few weeks, in that before he talks about it is impossible, without faith it is impossible to please God. You must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder. I want to say it this way, that there is a God so powerful that he spoke things into existence. (laughs) Right? I mean... He spoke light and light was. There had not been light before. He spoke land and land was. There had not been land before. He spoke oceans. Oceans came into being. He spoke birds and animals. He spoke whales and there was Shamu. He spoke all kinds of things, right? He spoke steak and there were cows. He just, whatever he did, it's lunchtime and I'm hungry. And so he created heaven and earth and sun and moon and stars by what he spoke and something that did not exist existed that we see now that was created as something that was not there before. And then we know the creation story. On the seventh day, he rested. And then on the eighth day, he created Texas. All right. There we go. Now, why does that get a bigger cheer than anything I've just said about God? I don't know. But anyway, so. All right. We'll get you saved before this is over. Okay. So, so it's, this whole, it's this whole thing about refocusing our faith. 
that our faith is not based on what we see, it's based on what we, what we don't see. And that's going to make more sense to you as we go on. And having said that, um, in fact, talking about groceries, <laughs> there's my transition. I didn't have a good transition. So talking about groceries. So my wife and I got back. We had a trip. We were gone a little bit. And before we left, we were leaving, so we didn't buy a lot of groceries. So we made our daughter fend for herself. She's old enough. She has a job. You're on your own. And so we didn't spend money. So we got back. And so there was nothing in the house. So my wife says, you know what? We haven't been here for a while. We got to go to the grocery store. And I said, have fun with that. God bless you. I hate going to the grocery store. It's one of the things I despise. And she goes, you want to eat? I said, when are we going? I'm with you. I'll drive. And so we go to the grocery store. We have this huge list, and we're getting stuff off the shelf. And I'm bored, and so I'm getting stuff I don't really need or want, right? And I'm hungry, and so we're loading up the cart. She's taking things back out, putting them back on the shelf. And we're going along. And we get home, and as we do, now it's time to unload the groceries. And my wife, I hate that. I hate everything about grocery shopping. I love eating. And so my wife says, "Um, listen, we have a deal. We've made this deal years ago early on in our marriage that she will unload the groceries into the cabinet refrigerator where they go if I will unload the car. And I said, I'll get the better end of that deal for sure. And so as any man would, I stood in front of our car and saw the numerous bags of groceries thinking how I can get it all in one load. I'm a man. That's what we do. So I started grabbing groceries and I'm putting them on my hands. How many bags can I grab with this hand? And I'm thinking to myself, I gotta tell my wife to buy the smaller laundry detergent. Oh, get the big heavy one. And I'm putting them on my arms and everywhere I can go. And, and so I'm, I'm precariously holding on, barely holding on with fingers are turning purple. Circulation's cut off to my arms and, and I'm walking along, stumbling along. And the challenges from my car to my kitchen, I have to go up some stairs and then I have to open a door. Then I have to go down some stairs, go around a corner. At the same time, I have two dogs that are at my feet and I can't see them. And I'm like, get out of, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. And I'm navigating the obstacles and I have a cat. So I'm opening up the door. I don't have a cat. My daughter has a cat. It's her cat. When she moves out, it's going with her in Jesus name. And so when we go, that was just from the Lord. I just prophetically spoke that out. I'm sorry, honey. And so I came around, I came around and I leave the door. I had the doors open. I don't want the dogs run out. I'm praying the cat runs out, but I'm hoping the dogs don't run out. I'm trying to get there and unload the groceries and I have this sense of, I made it. I held on to everything I didn't like. Oh, when I got here, and oh, the milk might be spilt a little bit right now or whatever. The bread might be smooshed, but chips might be crumbs, but I made it. And I'm just proud of myself in that moment. And I thought to myself, I think that's how we look at faith. We try and grab as much of God as we can, and we're loading up. We got to get more of God. I got to get more of God. I get all of God I possibly can. And it's uncomfortable at times, and it's heavy, and we're navigating, and we're navigating all kinds of obstacles, and upstairs, and downstairs, and open doors, and closed doors, and we have things at our feet that are tripping us up, and we're trying to, if I can just make it just a little farther, and get out of the way, and get out of the way, and I'm almost there, I'm almost there, don't drop, don't let go, don't let ever go of anything, put it on there, and I feel a sense of accomplishment, and I think, that's not faith at all, but that's how we live our life. And we celebrate those that seem like they got it all in one load and they, have, they can carry so much stuff and they have so much faith and, and they didn't let go and I think I would have dropped something. I think my grip would have slipped and I'm right there. For some reason we think that faith is equated to how much can you hold on to God? And I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, I know there's a sense of holding on, and I say that all the time, but I don't know I agree with that understanding. I think we've been uh, led to believe that, it's a, that faith is about not losing your grip on God doing whatever it takes to get to that moment. And can I say, there's just sometimes I can't hold on any longer. And is it because I have a lack of faith? Is it because, I, I, well, that person didn't have enough, you didn't have enough faith, what happened? And I don't believe that to be true at all because I know there's times that I have done everything I can and I'm tired and I'm weird and I just can't go on. 
And it seems like we have been taught that faith is something that we create and something that we generate and we manufacture. If I can just manufacture enough strength, if I can just manufacture enough passion, if I can just create within my own energy to do something, or I create my own passion to do something, and can I tell you, there's just times I don't have any strength left. I don't have, I've been so discouraged, there's no passion left in me. I don't think I can go on. And can I tell you, then there's not, I don't know that that's the essence of faith. And I don't know about you, but there's been many times that I've, believe God for something with everything I had, have held on with everything I could hold on, and the result was not what I'd hoped or wished or prayed for. And then I didn't want to feel like me of poor little faith or someone to judge me and say, super Christians can carry everything from the car at one time, as if it would be a bad thing to go and just take smaller loads. As if it would have been bad to take all 25 bags and 25 trips. I don't have enough time for that. I'm trying to be available to people for ministry and save the world. I can only have to do it in one time, right? It's like, I think we've been taught something about faith that God never intended, and I hope that we can get back to what I believe perhaps is the essence of. My series is called I Found My Faith, and today I want to talk about the divine persuader, because I think it's not about you and I generating something and creating something because of a situation that we're facing. I believe it's more about you and I responding to somebody, to someone that's already created an answer or a way out. And so let's take a look at this as we look through the scripture and let me explain it a little bit more to you um, and hopefully that we'll understand it because I believe that we treat faith as if it's our ability to hold on to God as if there's something that we can create. And I know we can build our faith. I know we have to exercise our faith. I'm, I'm down with that. We'll talk about that. But what if the proper concept of faith is not about what you can do or generate or create or manufacture? What if faith is not about your ability, but his ability? What if faith is not about what you can do, but what he's already done? I wrote this during worship. Let me find it and read it to you. I didn't do this first service, but I felt this, the Lord put this on my heart. Faith in action is more about responding to a relationship than removal of a hardship. Because what will happen if it's not our timing or if it's not our way, we're, we're, we're trying to find other ways and we, we slip into our own natural ability to try and remove a hardship instead of focusing on the relationship, the divine initiator, the divine creator, the divine persuader, and the work that he's already been done, that he's already done for you and I. And it's easy for us to slip over into doing things in our own strength and ability. And thank you for the golf clap. I appreciate it. I'll take whatever I can get. I may applaud myself at times or amen myself if I need to. I, I have no problem, no shame in doing that. And so we're in a series of faith, and I totally understand that sometimes it creates exciting feelings, but sometimes it creates hardship um, for those that have experienced a, a, a faith, as, as others would say, not me, others would say a faith failure, things not happening. And when we hear things about faith, sometimes we hear, we're going to hear, oh, we're going to come for six weeks, or we're going to hear, try harder, read more Bible, pray more. Come to the morning, 6 a.m. prayer. You're going to hear things like, hold on, don't let go. Read your Bible more. Come to church, get online. We're going to hear things more like, get up early for a devotional. Turn off the radio and put worship music on on the way to your commute. Stop cutting people off. Stop cussing as much. No, I should have crossed that one out. But Instagram and encouraging scriptures on Facebook. So we're, we're going to come and hear these things that like, I've heard all that before. And I... And I'm still where I'm at in life, and I think the writer in Hebrews is really painting a different picture for us. So let's look at the primary word that's used for faith in the New Testament. When you read about faith in the New Testament, and it's there quite a bit, overwhelmingly you see this one Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek. You see this one Greek word for faith more than any other used 
to define faith, it's a Greek word for faith is P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. And it literally means to persuade or to convince. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about faith. Faith doesn't mean to hold on and not let go. No, the Greek word for faith as the writer intended in the original language is persuaded. Your trust in God should not be dependent upon your grip on him. Faith is divine persuasion, being divinely persuaded. In fact, God is the initiator of any faith you have in your life. You don't create it. You don't manufacture it. You don't make it up. God initiated any faith in your life. In other words, God revealed himself to you. And apart from God revealing himself to you, there is no faith. There is nothing to believe in if he has not been revealed to you. No one to trust in. So faith is not is created by or manufactured by or conjured up by you. It is a divine persuasion initiated by God. I cannot make faith up in my heart. But I can respond to the divine persuasion of the divine initiator. Amen. And so, it, and so let, me say, let me say it this way. Um, faith is not creating something but responding to someone. So let God be God if God is God. And let God persuade me. Let God reveal himself to me. In fact, the Bible starts out, the creation story we mentioned for a moment, we'll come back to it in a second. The Bible starts off in the beginning God, not in the beginning man. Man did not initiate or create anything. God did. God is the divine creator, the divine initiator. God is the divine initiator. We were lost in our sins and trespasses, and he found us. He first loved us. He first loved us. He sent his son to us. He, Jesus, went to the cross. He, God raised him from the dead. He defeated, Jesus defeated hell, death, and the grave. Jesus bore our stripes upon his back. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit, the Father did. God, in his grace and goodness, reveals himself to us and persuades us. He's the divine creator, the divine initiator, and the divine persuader. And so faith is not trying to create or manufacture or initiate anything. It is a response to a God who's revealed himself through the life, love, and power of Jesus. And then he is constantly trying to persuade us by his revealing of himself. Right now, I believe in this room full of people and in the houses that are watching right now, I believe the divine creator, the divine initiator, the divine persuader is working on your heart right now, trying to persuade you. By revealing himself. So understand something. When we gather together, again, we're not, trying to, we're not trying to convince you of anything. We're just trying to create an environment where the divine creator can reveal himself so you will be fully persuaded. So you'll respond. Listen, if someone can convince you of God, then someone can unconvince you of God. If someone can talk you into God, then someone can talk you out of God. In John 14, Jesus says, not in your notes, but Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus says, if you've known me, you've known the Father. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I reveal the Father. I'm revealing him to you. Jude 1.3 says this. Read it. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that once was once for all. Listen, the faith that was delivered to the saints, not created, not manufactured, but God delivered faith by revealing himself to those that would respond to the divine persuader. 
You can't create. He's like, you, you didn't create it. You guys didn't create it. It was delivered to you. So we try and figure out this thing, and we're trying, we're faced with an obstacle. We're faced with a challenge, and we're trying to create or generate something in of ourselves, and we think we have to hold on a little bit more. If you can just get there, I'm, I'm stumbling. It's so heavy, and I don't want to lose my grip, but it's not that. It's responding to the divine creator that is more than enough as he's revealed himself to you, that he has a way out. He's made a way where there seems to be no way. There's nothing you can do but respond to him. And I think that we have to understand and shift our understanding and focus. So if God is God, then he can divinely persuade. He can reveal himself. And that's why we love it when people that don't know God come to church here, right? That's why we love people that don't know God to come in. It's like, this thing is like, we an unbeliever. It's like, an unbeliever's here, an unbeliever's here. (laughs) You know that. I think we're going to get those temperature machines and change them and test the spiritual temperature. The warning bells will ring, right? Everybody walks up there and I put them in this section, okay? In this section, we've anointed it extra and we've sprayed it down with that holy spray that the sanitizing. We're sanitizing their spirit right there. And we're gonna focus all the song singers to look right in this section. Right, you guys are right, right? You guys look right here at this section. The unbelievers are sitting right over here. No offense to anybody, but right here and stuff like that. The preacher's gonna preach right here. No, it's not that. That's not that doesn't work that way. We create an environment where God reveals himself to everyone in the building. God's revealing himself to everybody online. Your responsibility is to respond. I can't talk you in or out of anything. I can't. So it's our response to the divine creator, the divine initiator that's revealed himself. And therefore, we, and can I tell you, we can be divinely persuaded because the evidence of God being God is overwhelming. Absolutely, positively overwhelming. And so, and I believe, I believe that today because I believe as we're preaching, as we're giving the word of God today, and we've been praying for this moment as worship went forth today, that we've created an environment, and I believe that God is revealing, and when God reveals himself, the evidence is overwhelming. And so our faith is based on being divinely persuaded, not what we tend to try and create with our own strength. Just hold on, get a grip a little bit more. It's called divine persuasion, so we try and create those environments and the evidence, of course, is we want you to know who God is, what God did, what God said. It's divine persuasion. Faith is a divine persuasion. And let me say it this way. Faith is a gift. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 through 10, uh, not in your notes, New Living Translation. You can write it down, study it out later. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's nothing you've created or manufactured. But by divine persuasion, it is the gift of God, not by works. You can't create it so that no one can boast. In other words, what he's saying is the divine creator revealed himself to you so you can be divinely persuaded. And that is the basis of your faith. Because if you could create a faith in of yourself to be saved, if you will, so now you could stand before a holy God, then you would not need God. But you cannot pay your penalty of sin. An unholy one cannot stand before a holy God unless there is perfect, and there's only one that's perfect, and it's Jesus, the divine persuader. And so faith is a gift. It's not something you have to create or manufacture. It's a gift for everyone who will choose to receive it. It's a gift. And I know that faith without works is dead. We'll get in that later. There's things that we need to do. We do have a part in that for sure. I'm giving you the foundation. But here's the, here's the catch it sounds so good. There's a catch, right? There's, two, there's always a catch. God has allowed free will. <laughs> That's why some people, God can reveal himself, and some people will say yes, and some people will say, no, nah, I'm good. 
And you see that all throughout the Bible. You have a free will. That doesn't mean when the, when the divine creator, the divine initiator reveals himself as the divine persuader that everybody's going to say yes. You have your own free will. You have to respond to the divine initiator and be divinely persuaded. And I, I believe that that's our opportunity every time we gather. So the writer of Hebrews is writing this text to the first century Jews. So you can't really understand 11, chapter 11 until you go back to 10. The first century Jews who, gave, uh, who have gone from trying to fulfill, they, the Jews had been trying to fulfill the law in and of themselves, keep the law, which was impossible. Jesus came, gave his life, and now these people are believing in the works of Jesus. Their faith is based on Jesus. Their righteousness is found in Jesus. But there's still a fraction, a fraction, a fraction of, of religious people that are saying, no, that's wrong, and it's by your works, and you try to be better and do better, and so much so that the religious group started persecuting and, and uh, hurting the uh, people that were following Jesus' teaching. And so here's the first century Jews. All of a sudden, they find themselves being persecuted, their businesses and property being called confiscated their homes and being kicked out and evicted of their homes. And all of a sudden they're now questioning, now wait a second, if I go back to the law and just trying to have a holiness in and of itself and what I can do, I won't face this persecution anymore. And can I tell you, if that is not a sign of today's times with the persecution that's happening around about us and the attack on the church and our belief system, trying to get you to go back to do it on your own in the world's way. And I would say to you, don't go back. This world has nothing that compares to God. If you've been divinely persuaded, you cannot go back. We don't shrink back. In fact, we take tragedy. We take pandemics. We take financial crisis. We take these opportunities to press in even farther to the divine persuader, the divine initiator, the divine creator. No matter what's happening around about us. And so the writer in Hebrews is telling him, don't go back. You've been divinely persuaded. I know there's such a temptation to blend in, be like everybody else, and you won't face that persecution, but you will not be happy, and you cannot be good enough and do enough good things to take care of your own sin. It is impossible. So they've been divinely persuaded. Jesus has fulfilled all the law that they could not fulfill in their own life, in their own power, in their own ability. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us in order to fulfill the law so that we can have a righteousness or right standing with God in Christ Jesus because of Jesus. So in Hebrews, you see the reminder of the writer to the first century Jews. And the writer says, don't go back. There's no life there. Trust Jesus. Follow Jesus. In other words, Jesus has come and persuaded you, and you have been divinely persuaded and it's shaping your everyday life. Jesus has fulfilled the law. So it's no longer about the law, it's about following, no longer about following the law, following the life of Jesus. And at this time, again, they're facing such hardship and persecution. And some are going back, but the writer says, don't go back, we don't draw back. You know the truth. You've been persuaded. We don't go back to trusting ourselves or doing things in our own power. We don't try and create something better. We don't try and be something better. That's not where it's at. God has come and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took the penalty of sin for us. And now instead of earning and deserving, we simply believe and receive and we are made right with God through the righteousness of Jesus, not through any works and of ourselves. Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. Let me read that for you real quick to give you some context. It says this, but recall the former things, first century Jews struggling with this, but recall the former days when you were enlightened, when you were enlightened, when you had a divine persuasion, God revealed himself to you. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. 
For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which is great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, being divinely persuaded. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. It's not the way to go. But we do not, we, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith are divinely persuaded and preserve their souls. As the writer of Hebrews, I'm reminding you today, as the writer is. So Hebrews 11:6, our famous scripture, our foundational scripture says this, and without faith. It is impossible. Hold on to the word impossible. That's a strong word. Without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, without being divinely persuaded, it is impossible to please God. What is he saying? He's telling the first century Jews back here by works, trying to do better, trying to be better. You could never please God. You can't please God trying to do it on your own. God is holy. We are not it is impossible to please a holy God by being unholy. So now it takes faith to please God. The word impossible, it's a strong word. It says you can never please God by trying to do better or be better because you'll never obtain the holiness that is required to please God. It is impossible in your own strength and ability. So Jesus comes and he was holy. His whole life he was holy. Jesus was born on the planet as a baby. Jesus lived a 33 and a half years, holy, a perfect sacrifice. Listen, Jesus was holy as a teenager. Come on, there's only one God, all right? He was holy as a teenager, all right? So listen, all his life he is holy. So Jesus comes and he's holy and Jesus does for us what we could not do for ourselves. So by simply trusting Jesus, I am persuaded that he is perfect and he is the perfect sacrifice. I'm persuaded that he is the holy one and has never sinned. I'm persuaded that he is God. I am persuaded that he did for me what I could not do for myself. So it is impossible to please God without faith because it is impossible to please God without Somebody that was in first service, I know you go to two services, help me out. Jesus, it's impossible to please God without faith because it is impossible to please God without Jesus. It's impossible to please God without Jesus. The Bible says he is the author and finisher of our faith, and he is the perfecter. He is the initiator, another translation says. He initiated it by revealing himself to you. The divine persuader, Jesus, it is impossible to please God without faith. Therefore, it is impossible to please God without Jesus. It's not so much about hold on, and it's this sense, it's, it's, it's responding to the divine persuader. So to the first century Jews, the writer of Hebrews says, you can't please God without being convinced of the overwhelming evidence based on the divine persuasion of Jesus. We're now pleasing to God forever. Overwhelming evidence. So the writer of Hebrews begins to tell the first century Jews about their heroes, chapter 11. And all the people that he's writing to, all the people today would know who they're talking about. These are their heroes. Heroes of faith. And in every story, every hero of faith, which is what we're going to talk about, what do you find a picture of? You find a picture of Jesus. What does the Old Testament reveal? Jesus. What does the New Testament speak of? Jesus. Well, I thought faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yeah. And what does the word of God reveal? Who's Jesus? The divine persuader. 
the Holy One, whom, with it is, whom without it is impossible to please God. Everything shows the picture of Jesus, and in each life, a faith is a picture of Jesus. I don't have time to go to all those, but I, I want to give you these real quick, and, and we go back to Hebrews. Uh, can we go back, guys, to yeah, 11.4? I got to do this real quick. I don't normally talk fast, but I'm going to have to. I'm just, it's a good thing we had Joe McGee last week, kind of train your ear a little bit. <laughs> I think he might be faster than me, I'm not sure. Um, so, and, and I want to give you this, because when you read through the Hebrews 1 through 6, which we did, we camped out at, at, chapter, at verse 6, rather, but before that is two verses that we have to have an understanding, to have context, rather, to have an understanding of verse 6. So I have to give that to you. So it says this, by faith, Abel, now all of a sudden we're talking about faith and creation of the universe. Now we, we talk about two individuals, and then we get without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we have to have a bit of an understanding. In fact, next week, we'll dig into this more. I'm just going to hit the surface of it so you have an understanding of today. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended for having pleased God. Okay, so Abel, the story of creation begins and God created man and woman. He creates Adam and Eve and there's, now they start having kids. Now they, get, they fall and they get kicked out of the garden. God evicts them and puts two big angels of fiery, fiery swords and you can't come back in here. So they're living outside the garden and they have start having kids. Cain is the firstborn and Abel is the, is the secondborn. Cain is a farmer. Abel is a rancher. And then somehow, someway, I love this picture. We'll get into it next week. But somehow, someway, they know they're supposed to worship God with their work, with their job. And people sometimes say, why do we have to talk about that, about giving all the time at church? Can I tell you, it was in the very beginning, the first two guys that had jobs. So Cain and Abel, so that's what we should do, right? So Cain and Abel decide, well, we need to, we need to honor God, worship God with, with what we produce in our jobs. And so, and so mom and dad must have taught them, how do they know to give God an offering? Well, mom and dad must have told them, parents, mom and dad must have told them they're supposed to bring an offering unto the Lord. You mean the God that kicked them out? Listen to this. God kicked them out and said, you cannot come back. But they still loved God enough because they knew God's character and nature. They still taught their kids. And so all of a sudden, here's a church service, and they're coming to church, all four of them, mom and dad and Cain and Abel, and all of a sudden, they're bringing their offering unto God, and, and God looks at Cain's offering and says, no, I don't want anything to do with that, I'm going to reject that, because you just brought just something to me. And then Abel's offering was brought, and God looks at Abel's and said, man, right on, you did good. You brought me the firstborn of the fat portion, means that's the best, that's the best. You brought me your best animal. And so Cain's like, really, seriously, God? And he's rejected, and he's mad, and Abel's like, man, all right, I got it right, thank you, God. God, and he walks out and all of a sudden <laughs> they're walking down the road and, and Cain's upset because his offering was rejected and Abel's excited because man, he connected with God and what happens? The other person at church killed him. Don't look at your neighbor. Two people in service, Cain and Abel, the other congregant killed him. So now we got one, we got a church of one right there. But listen, some people will go around saying, if you have enough faith, nothing bad will ever happen. You will ask, ask Abel that. The other person in church, after they gave their offerings and God accepted them, killed them. But it was his offering that got him in the book. And he's a hero of the Jews. And so he was written. What was it about Abel's offering? He brought the firstborn and he brought the best. Is that not a picture of Jesus? Jesus is the firstborn, only born of God. And he is the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. You don't have faith without Jesus. 
And then it goes on to say, we'll dig in that a little bit more. And then it goes on to say, so here's the first person in the Bible that dies, that is killed. The very next person that is mentioned in our, our, our Hall of Fame of Faith never dies. This is verses four and five. And then Hebrews six, without faith is apostle, please God. The first one gave the first and best offering, just like Jesus. And then he goes, to, he goes to heaven. The next one lives forever. And then at some point in time, the Bible says that Enoch was 65 years when he gave birth to Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest man on record, 900 and something years. And he says after 300 years, 300 years after giving birth. So do the math. 300 years after giving birth, he gave birth at 65. Listen to me. 365 years he walked the earth. And then God just came and took him up. The Bible says that God was pleased with him because he walked with him every day. What did he do? He had a relationship, a daily relationship with God. They fellowshiped every single day. I don't know anybody else on the planet in the history of mankind that can claim that he had a relationship with God every single day, but Jesus... Jesus walked and talked with his father every day of his life. He had a relationship with God and understand something. Listen, it's not by coincidence that, that, that Enoch was here on the planet 365 years because to you and I, the message is we need for every year he lived is one of our days. We need every day to have a relationship with God. We need to talk with him every single day. We need to spend time with God every single day. What's our faith built on? It's a response to the divine persuader. Every day, give God your best. If you blow it and you mess up the next day, give God your best. If you blow it and you mess up the next day, I got to hold on. No, just get up the next day and give God your best. But every day, spend time with him. Every day. I'm too busy to, you're not Spend time with him. Your faith is built. You will respond to divine responder more when you pattern your life after giving God your best every day and spending time with him every single day. We talk about building our faith. Can I just tell you? That responding to Jesus more and more and more and more and more and more and more builds your faith. I don't know. I don't know if that made sense to you this morning. Hopefully something throughout the course of the series. But I'm just looking at it such a different way, perspective, and looking at it through a different lens because I believe that we have been believing so much. It's our ability to hold on and it's not our ability to respond. I don't know about you. Again, I said this earlier that sometimes I just can't hold on anymore. I'm just so tired and so worn out. I know some of you have faced such hardship. And people have told you that if you just had enough faith, that doesn't help. That's heartbreaking. I know some of you have experienced loss and you're wondering that if I just believed a little bit more and maybe I just one more prayer, maybe I could have done it. I just want to tell you, let that go. Just give God your best today. And then just spend time with him today. Just purpose in your heart to do that. And here's what I believe, that you'll see your faith grow, not based on what you can do or how you can hold on and lose your, hold on to your grit, but it'll grow based on you pressing into a relationship with the divine person. You're going to be persuaded of more stuff. He's going to reveal himself more to you. He's revealing himself. You're going to see it more, and you're going to be more and more persuaded that God is a good God and God is a faithful God. He is the divine creator, the divine initiator. He is the divine persuader. And for you and I, it's not don't lose your grip on God. It's build your relationship with him. And then you'll see those things in your life build and grow. My heart, my hope is helping all of us to understand, maybe get a little bit different look at faith. And so we're going to ask God to reveal himself more to us. My prayer today, God, reveal yourself in a greater measure today than we have ever experienced. God, persuade me today 
And maybe I have wandered, maybe I have drifted, but today persuade me, reveal yourself to me so I am more persuaded. Reveal yourself in a greater capacity. Let me experience your love like I've not experienced before. Let me experience your grace, Father God. Reveal yourself into my situation, Father God. I want you in my home, in my marriage, in my family, in my relationship with my daughters and my finances, Father God. Thank you for revealing yourself to me, Lord, so I can be divinely persuaded, so I won't shrink back. No matter what happens, I won't shrink back. I won't go back, Father God, because I have been persuaded that you are a good God and a faithful God and you're a healing God and you're a delivering God and you're a prospering God and you're a God that has good for me and not bad for me. I am persuaded that nothing that happens round about me, no matter how negative, how terrible, will persuade me not to believe you, God, but I am fully persuaded no matter what happens in my life that you are still God. I will trust you with everything I am. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.